Hello, and welcome to Sleeping Instructions, a podcast from Maker Community Inc. in Melbourne, Australia. These podcasts aim to help you sleep. They are semi-educational, because we will simply read through instruction manuals. If you are interested in the subject matter, it's educational. If you are not, it's not. Either way, instruction manuals tend to be boring, and we will just read through them, and you can fall asleep learning something new, or otherwise. If you have been enjoying these podcasts, please consider giving us a review, or sharing with your friends. In this episode, we continue with the Model T Ford Instruction Manual from 1919. The Ford Cooling System How is the engine cooled? The heat generated by the constant explosions in the engine would soon overheat and ruin the engine were it not cooled by some artificial means. The Ford engine is cooled by the circulation of water in jackets around the cylinders. The heat is extracted from the water by its passing through the thin metal tubing of the radiator, to which are attached scientifically worked out fins which assist in the rapid radiation of the heat. The fan, just back of the radiator, sucks the air around the tubing, around which the air is also driven by the forward movement of the car. The belt should be inspected frequently and tightened when necessary, not too tight however, by means of the adjusting screw in the fan bracket. Take up the slack till the fan starts to bind when turned by hand. How does the water circulate? The cooling apparatus of the car is known as the thermosiphon system. It acts on the principle the hot water seeks a higher level than cold water. Consequently, when the water reaches a certain heat, approximately 180 degrees Fahrenheit, circulation commences and the water flows from the lower radiator outlet pipe up through the water jackets into the upper radiator water tank and down through the tubes to the lower tank to repeat the process. What are the causes of overheating? 1. Carbonized cylinders 2. Too much driving on low speed 3. Spark retarded too far 4. Poor ignition 5. Not enough or poor grade oil 6. Racing motor 7. Clogged muffler 8. Improper carburetor adjustment 9. Fan not working properly on account of broken or slipping belt. 10. Improper circulation of water due to clogged or jammed radiator tubes, leaky connections or low water. What should be done when the radiator overheats? Keep the radiator full. Don't get alarmed if it boils occasionally, especially in driving through mud and deep sand or up long hills in extremely warm weather. Remember that the engine develops the greatest efficiency when the water is heated nearly to the boiling point, but if there is persistent overheating when the motor is working under ordinary conditions, find the cause of the trouble and remedy it. 
the chances are that the difficulty lies in improper driving or carbonized cylinders. Perhaps twisting the fan blades at a greater angle to produce more suction may bring desired results. By reference to the proper division of this book, each of the causes which contribute to an overheated radiator is treated and remedies suggested. No trouble can result from the filling of a heated radiator with cold water, providing the water system is not entirely empty, in which case the motor should be allowed to cool before the cold water is introduced. How about cleaning the radiator? The entire circulating system should be thoroughly flushed out occasionally. To do this properly, the radiator inlet and outlet hose should be disconnected and the radiator flushed out by allowing the water to enter the filler neck at ordinary pressure, from whence it will flow down through the tubes and out at the drain cock and hose. The water jackets can be flushed out in the same manner. Simply allow the water to enter into the cylinder head connection and to flow through the water jackets and out at the side inlet connection. The manual includes a diagram showing the thermosiphon cooling system and the course of water through water passages. Will the radiator freeze in winter? Yes, unless an anti-freezing solution is used in the circulating system, you are bound to experience trouble. As the circulation does not commence until the water becomes heated, it is apt to freeze at low temperature before it commences to circulate. In case any of the radiator tubes happen to be plugged or jammed, they are bound to freeze and burst open if the driver undertakes to get along without using a non-freezing solution. Wood or denatured alcohol can be used to good advantage. The following table gives the freezing points of solution containing different percentages of alcohol. 20% solution freezes at 15 degrees above zero. 30% solution freezes at 8 degrees below zero. 50% solution freezes at 34 degrees below zero in the Fahrenheit scale. A solution composed of 60% water, 10% glycerine and 30% alcohol is commonly used its freezing point being about 8 degrees below zero. On account of evaporation, fresh alcohol must be added frequently in order to maintain the proper solution. How are leaks and jams in the radiator repaired? A small leak may be temporarily repaired by applying brown soap or white lead, but the repair should be made permanent with solder as soon as possible. A jammed radiator tube is a more serious affair. While the stopping of one tube does not seriously interfere with the circulation, it is bound to cause trouble sooner or later, and the tube will freeze in cold weather. Cut the tube an inch above and below the jam, and insert a new piece, soldering the connections. If the entire radiator is badly jammed or broken, 
it would probably be advisable to install a new one. The gasoline system. The carburetor. How does it work? The carburetor is of the automatic float feed type, having but one adjustment, the gasoline needle valve. The cross-section diagram of the carburetor on page 20 shows how the gasoline enters the carburetor, is vaporised by a current of air and passes through the inlet pipe to the engine in the form of an explosive mixture. The gasoline entering the bowl of the carburetor gradually raises the float to a point where the inlet needle is forced upwards into its seat, thus cutting off the flow of the gasoline. As the gasoline in the bowl recedes, the float lowers, allowing the needle to drop from its seat and the flow of gasoline is resumed. It is plain to see that a constant level of gasoline is maintained in the carburetor by the automatic action of float and needle. The quantity of gasoline entering into the mixture is governed by the needle valve. The volume of gas mixture entering the intake pipe is controlled by opening and closing the throttle according to the speed desired by the driver. Why is carburetor adjustment placed on the dash? For the convenience of the driver in adjusting the carburetor after the new car has become thoroughly worked in, the driver should observe the angle of the carburetor adjusting rod at which the engine runs most satisfactorily. In cold weather, it will probably be found necessary to turn the dash adjustment one quarter turn to the left, particularly in starting a cold engine. As gasoline vaporises readily in warm weather, the driver will find it economical to reduce the quantity of gasoline in the mixture by turning the carburetor adjustment to the right as far as possible without reducing speed. This is particularly true when taking long drives where conditions permit a fair rate of speed being maintained and accounts for the excellent gasoline mileage obtained by good drivers. What is meant by a lean and a rich mixture? A lean mixture has too much air and not enough gasoline. A rich mixture has too much gasoline and not enough air. A rich mixture will not quickly cover the cylinders, pistons and valves with carbon but will tend to overheat the cylinders and is likewise wasteful of the fuel. It will often choke the engine and cause misfiring at slow speeds although at high speeds the machine will run perfectly. The mixture should be kept as lean as possible without the sacrifice of any of the power of the motor. A lean mixture will often result in backfiring through the carburetor for the reason that the gas burns slowly in the cylinder and is still burning when the inlet valve opens again, which causes the gas in the intake to ignite. A rich mixture is shown by heavy, black exhaust smoke, the disagreeable smell. Proper mixture will cause very little smoke or odour. How is the carburetor adjusted? 
The usual method of regulating the carburetor is to start the motor advancing the throttle lever to about the sixth notch with the spark retarded to about the fourth notch. The flow of gasoline should now be cut off by screwing the needle valve down to the right until the engine begins to misfire. Then gradually increase the gasoline feed by opening the needle valve until the motor picks up and reaches its highest speed and no trace of black smoke comes from the exhaust. Whenever it is necessary to turn the adjusting needle down more than a quarter turn below its normal position, the lock nut on top of the carburetor at the point through which the needle passes should first be loosened, as otherwise it is impossible to tell when the needle is turned down in its seat too far. Turning the needle down too tightly will result in its becoming grooved and the seat enlarged. When these parts are damaged, it is difficult to maintain proper adjustment of the carburetor. Having determined the point where the motor runs at its maximum speed, the needle valve lock nut should be tightened to prevent the adjustment being disturbed. For average running, a lean mixture will give better results than a rich one. Why does water clog the carburetor? The presence of water in the carburetor or gasoline tank, even in small amounts, will prevent easy starting and the motor will misfire and stop. As water is heavier than gasoline, it settles to the bottom of the tank and into the sediment bulb, along with other foreign matter. As it is difficult nowadays to get gasoline absolutely free from impurities, especially water, it is advisable to frequently drain the sediment bulb under the gasoline tank. During cold weather, the water which accumulates in the sediment bulb is likely to freeze and prevent the flow of gasoline through the pipe leading to the carburetor. Should anything of this kind happen, it is possible to open the gasoline line by wrapping a cloth around the sediment bulb and keeping it saturated with hot water for a short time. Then the water should be drained off. In the event the water gets down into the carburetor and freezes, the same treatment may be applied. What makes the carburetor leak? The flow of gasoline entering the carburetor through the feed pipe is automatically regulated by the float needle raising and lowering in its seat. Should any particle of dirt become lodged in the seat, which prevents the needle from closing, the gasoline will overflow in the bowl of the carburetor and leak out upon the ground. When there is dirt in the carburetor, what? The spraying nozzle of the carburetor, having a very small opening, a minute particle of grit or other foreign matter will clog up the orifice and result. Motor will begin to misfire and slow down as soon as it has attained any considerable speed. This is accounted for by the fact that at high speeds the increased suction will draw the particles of dust etc. into the nozzle. By opening the valve needle half a turn and giving the throttle lever two or three quick pulls, the dirt or sediment will often be drawn through when the needle may be back to its original place. 
If this does not accomplish the purpose, the carburetor should be drained. If the engine runs too fast or chokes with the throttle retarded, what? If the engine runs too fast with the throttle fully retarded, unscrew the carburetor throttle lever adjusting screw until the engine idles at suitable speed. If the motor chokes and stops when throttle is fully retarded, the adjusting screw should be screwed in until it strikes the boss, preventing the throttle from closing too far. When proper adjustment has been made, tightening a lock screw so that adjustment will not be disturbed. What is the purpose of the hot air pipe? It takes the hot air from around the exhaust pipe and conducts it to the carburetor, where the heat facilitates the vaporising of the gasoline. It is usually advisable to remove this pipe in the hot season, but an absolute necessity feature during cold weather. What is the purpose of the cork float? It automatically controls the flow of the gasoline into the carburetor. If it floats too low, starting will be difficult. If too high, the carburetor will flood and leak. A cork float which has become fuel-soaked should be removed and replaced by a new one, or thoroughly dried, and then given a couple of coats of liquid shellac to make it waterproof. Should priming rod be used in starting when motor is warm? No. The carburetor does not ordinarily require priming when the motor is warm and starting with the rod pulled out is apt to flood the engine with an over-rich mixture of gas which does not readily explode. This naturally causes difficulty in starting. If you should accidentally flood the engine Turn the carburetor adjusting needle down, to the right, until it seats. Then turn the engine over a few times in order to exhaust the rich gas. As soon as the motor starts, turn back the needle to the left and readjust the carburetor. The Ford Ignition System What is the purpose of the ignition system? It furnishes the electric spark which explodes the charge in the combustion chamber, thus producing the power which runs the engine. It is important that the charge be correctly ignited at the proper time in order to obtain satisfactory results in running the car. In the Ford car, the ignition system is as simple as it is possible for human invention to make it. How does the magneto generate the current? In revolving at the same rate of speed as the motor, the magnets on the flywheel passing the stationary coil spools create an alternating low tension electric current in coils of wire which are wound around spools fastened to the stationary part of the magneto and it is carried from these coils to the magneto connection leading to the coil box on the dash. Should the coil vibrator adjustment be distributed? The present style of coil unit is properly adjusted when it leaves the factory. This adjustment should not be disturbed 
unless to install new points or to reduce the gap between the points which may have increased from wear. When adjustments are necessary, they should, whenever possible, be made by one of our service stations who have special equipment for testing and adjusting units and will gladly furnish expert service. If the points are pitted, they should be filed flat with a fine double-faced file and the adjusting thumb nut turned down so that with the spring held down, the gap between the points should be a trifle less than one thirty-tooth of an inch. Then, set the lock nut so the adjustment cannot be disturbed. Do not bend or hammer on the vibrators, as this would affect the operation of the cushion spring of the vibrator bridge and reduce the efficiency of the unit. How is a weak unit detected? With the vibrators properly adjusted, if any particular cinder fails or seems to develop only a weak action, change the position of the unit to determine if the fault is actually in the unit. The first system of a defective unit is the buzzing of the vibrator with no spark at the plug. Remember that a loose wire connection, faulty spark plug or worn commutator may cause irregularity in the running of the motor. These are points that should be considered before laying the blame on the coil. How may short circuit in the commutator wiring be detected? Should the insulation of the primary wires running from coil to commutator become worn to such an extent that the copper wire is exposed, the current will leak out, i.e. short circuit. Whenever contact with the engine pan or other metal parts is made, a steady buzzing of one of the coil units will indicate a short in the wiring. When driving the car, the engine will suddenly lag and pound on account of the premature explosion. Be careful not to crank the engine downwards against compression when the car is in this condition, as a short is apt to cause a vigorous kickback. Does coil adjustment affect starting? Yes. When the vibrators are not properly adjusted, more current is required to make and break the contact between the points. And, as a result, at cranking speeds, you would not get a spark between the spark plug points. Do not allow the contact points to become ragged. Otherwise, they are apt to stick and cause unnecessary difficulty in starting and when running they are apt to produce an occasional miss in the engine. What is the purpose of the commutator? The commutator, or timer, determines the instant at which the spark plugs must fire. It affects the make and break in the primary circuit. The grounded wire in the magneto allows the current to flow through the metal parts to the metal roller in the commutator. Therefore, when the commutator roller and revolving touches the four commutator contact points, each of which is attached to a wire connected with a coil unit, an electrical circuit is passed through the entire system of primary wires. The circuit is only momentary, however, 
as the roller passes over the contact point very rapidly and sets up the circuit in each unit as the roller touches the contact point connected with that unit. The commutator should be kept clean and well oiled at all times. What about the spark plugs? One is located at the top of each cylinder and can easily be taken out with the spark plug wrench included with every car after the wire connection is removed. The high voltage current flows out of the secondary coils in the coil box and on reaching the contact points in each spark plug it is forced to jump a worn 32 inch gap, thereby forming a spark which ignites the gasoline charge in the cylinders. The spark plug should be kept clean, i.e. free from carbon, and should be replaced if they persist in not working properly. There is nothing to be gained by experimenting with different makes of plugs. The make of plugs with which Ford engines are equipped when they leave the factory are best adapted to the requirements of our motor, notwithstanding the opinion of various garage men to the contrary. All wire connections to spark plugs, coil box and commutator should, of course, at all times be kept in perfect contact. What are the indications of ignition trouble? The uneven splutter and bang of the exhaust means that one or more cylinders are exploding irregularly or not at all, and that the trouble should promptly be located and overcome. Misfiring, if allowed to continue, will in time injure the engine and the entire mechanism. If you would be known as a good driver, you will be satisfied only with a soft, steady purr from the exhaust. If anything goes wrong, stop and fix it if possible. Don't wait until you get home. How can one tell which cylinder is missing? This is done by manipulating the vibrators on the spark coils. Open the throttle until the engine is running at a good speed. Then hold down the two outside vibrators, number one and number four, with the fingers so they cannot buzz. This cuts out the two corresponding cylinders, number one and number four, leaving only number two and three running. If they explode regularly, it is obvious the trouble is in either number one or number four. Relieve number one and hold down number two and number three, and also number one. If number four cylinder explodes evenly, it is evident the misfiring is in number one. In this manner, all of the cinders in turn can be tested until the trouble is located. Examine both the spark plug and the vibrator of the missing cylinder. If the coil and plug are right, what? The trouble is probably due to an improperly seated valve, worn commutator, or short circuit in the commutator wiring. Weakness in the valves may be easily determined by lifting the starting crank slowly the length of the stroke of each cylinder in turn. A strong or weak compression in any particular valve being easily detected. It sometimes happens that the cylinder head gasket, the packing, becomes leaky. 
permitting the gas under compression to escape, a condition that can be detected by running a little lubricating oil around the edge of the gasset and noting whether bubbles appear or not. Does a worn commutator ever cause misfiring? Yes. If misfiring occurs when running at high speed, inspect the commutator. The surface of the circle around which roller, see cut number 8, travels should be clean and smooth so that the roller makes perfect contact at all points. If the roller fails to make a good contact on any one of the four contacts points, its corresponding cylinder will not fire. Clean these surfaces if dirty. In case the fibre, contact points and roller of the commutator are badly worn, the most satisfactory remedy is to replace them with new parts. The spring should be strong enough to make a firm contact between the roller points if they are worn or dirty. Misfiring may also be caused by a short-circuited commutator wires. How is the commutator removed? Remove the cotter pin from the spark rod and attach the latter from the commutator. Loosen the cap screw which goes through the breather pipe on top of the time gear cover. This will release the spring which holds the commutator case in place. This part can be readily removed. Unscrew the lock nut, withdraw steel brush cap and drive out the retaining spring. The brush can then be removed from the camshaft. In replacing the brush, care must be exercised to see that it is replaced so the exhaust valve on the first cylinder is closed when the brush points upwards. This may be ascertained by removing the valve door and observing the operation of number one valve. Does cold weather affect the commutator? It is a well-known fact that in cold weather, even the best grades of lubricating oil are apt to congeal to some extent. If this occurs in the commutator, it is very apt to prevent the roller from making perfect contact with the contact points embedded in the fibre. This, of course, makes difficult starting as the roller arm spring is not stiff enough to brush away the film of oil which naturally forms over the contact points. To overcome this, as well as any liability of the contact points to rust, we recommend a mixture of 25% kerosene with commutator lubricating oil, which will thin it sufficiently to prevent congealing or freezing as it is commonly called. You have probably noticed in starting your car in cold weather that perhaps only one or two cylinders will fire for the first minute or so, which indicates that the timer is in the condition described above, and as a consequence a perfect contact is not being made on each of the four terminals. How is the magneto removed? It is necessary to take the power plant out of the car in order to remove the magneto. Then remove the crankcase and the transmission cover. Take out the four cap screws that hold the flywheel to the crank. You will then have access to the magnets and the entire magneto mechanism. In taking out these parts, or any parts of the car, the utmost care should be taken 
to make sure that the parts are so marked that they may be replaced properly. When Magneto gets out of order, what? The Ford Magneto is made of permanent magnets and there's very little likelihood of their ever losing their strength unless acted upon by some outside force. For instance, the attachment of a storage battery to the magneto terminal will demagnetise the magnets. If anything like this happens, it is not advisable to try to recharge them, but rather install a complete set of new magnets. The new magnets will be sent from the nearest agent or branch house and will be placed on a board in identically the same manner as they should be when installed on the flywheel. Great care should be taken in assembling the magnets and lining up the magneto so that the faces of the magnets are separated from the surface of the coil spool, just one thirty-two of an inch. Take out the old magnets, simply remove the cap screw and bronze screw which holds it in place. The magneto is often blamed when the trouble is a weak current caused by waste or other foreign matter accumulating under the contact spring, which is held in place by the binding post on top of the crankcase cover. Remove the three screws which hold the binding post in place. Remove the binding post and spring and replace after foreign substance has been removed. The Ford Transmission What is the function of the transmission? It is that part of the mechanism of an automobile which lies between the crankshaft and the drive shaft, by which one is enabled to move at different speeds from the other. It is the speed gear of the car. It sends the car forward at low speed and high speeds, and by it, the car is reversed. What is meant by the term planetary transmission? One in which the groups of gears always remain in mesh, and revolve around a main axis. The different sets of gears are brought into action by stopping the revolution of the parts which support the gears. By means of bands, similar to brake bands, the rotation of the different parts is stopped. The planetary transmission is the simplest and most direct means of speed control. It is a distinct advantage of the Ford car. What is the purpose of the clutch? If the crankshaft of the engine ran without brake, straight through to the differential, and through it applied its power direct to the rear wheels, the car would start forward immediately upon the starting of the engine, were it possible to get it started under such conditions. To overcome this difficulty, the shaft is divided, and by means of the clutch, part of the shaft to which the running engine is delivering its power is enabled to take hold of the unmoving part gradually and start the car without jolt or jar. The forward part of the shaft is referred to as the crankshaft, the rear part as the drive shaft. How is the clutch controlled? By the left pedal at the driver's feet. If the clutch pedal when pushed forwards into slow speed, has a tendency to stick and not come back readily into high, 
Tighten up the slow speed band as directed in answer number 74. Should the machine have an inclination to creep forward when cranking, it indicates that the clutch lever screw which bears on the clutch lever cam has worn. It requires an extra turn to hold the clutch in neutral position. When the clutch is released by pulling back on the hand lever, the pedal should move forwards a distance of one three quarters of an inch in passing from high speed to neutral. See that the brake hub shoe and connections are in proper order so that the brake will act sufficiently to prevent the car creeping very far ahead. Also be sure the slow speed band does not bind on account of being adjusted too tight. Don't use too heavy grade of oil in cold weather as it will have a tendency to congeal between the clutch discs and prevent proper action of the clutch. How is the clutch adjusted? Remove the plate on the transmission cover under the floorboards at the driver's feet. Take out the cotter key on the first clutch finger and give the set screw one half to one complete turn to the right with a screwdriver. Do the same to the other finger set screws. Be sure to give each of the same number of turns and don't forget to replace the cotter key. And after a considerable period of service, the wearing the clutch may be taken up by installing another pair of clutch discs rather than by turning the adjusting screws in too far. Caution. Let us warn you against placing any small tools or objects over or in the transmission case without a good wire or cord attached to them. Otherwise, if they are dropped into the transmission case, it is almost impossible to recover them without taking off the transmission cover. How are the bands adjusted? The slow speed band may be tightened by loosening the lock nut on the right side of the transmission cover and by turning the adjusting screw to the right. To tighten the brake and reverse bands, remove the transmission cover door and turn the adjusting nuts on the shafts to the right. See that the bands do not drag on the drums when disengaged as they exert a brake effect and tend to overheat the motor. However, the foot brake should be adjusted so that a sudden pressure will stop the car immediately or slide the rear wheels in case of emergency. The bands, when worn to such an extent that they will not take hold properly, should be relined so that they will engage smoothly without causing a jerky movement of the car. The lining is inexpensive and may be had at any forward service station at small cost. How are bands removed? Remove the starting motor, take off the door on top of the transmission cover. Turn the reverse adjustment nut and the brake nut adjustment to the extreme end of the pedal shafts. Then remove the slow speed adjusting screw. Remove the bolts holding the transmission cover to the crankcase and lift off the cover assembly. Slip the band nearest the flywheel over the first of the triple gears. Then turn the band round so that the opening is downwards. 
band can now be removed by lifting upward. The operation is more easily accomplished if three sets of triple gears are so placed that one set is about 10 degrees to the right top centre at the top. Each band is removed by the same operation. It is necessary to shove each band forward onto the triple gears at this point only. Is there sufficient clearance in the crankcase to allow the ears of the transmission bands to be turned downwards? By reversing this operation the bands may be installed. After being placed in their upright position on the drums, pass a cord around the ears of the three bands, holding them in the centre, so that when pulling the transmission cover in place, no trouble will be experienced in getting the pedal shafts to rest in the notches of the band ears. The clutch release ring must be placed in the rear groove of the clutch shift. With the cover in place, remove the cord which holds the bands in place while the cover was being installed. How is the transmission assembled? Cut number 13 shows the transmission parts in their relative assembling positions and grouped in their different operations of assembling. The first operation is the assembling of group number 2 which is as follows. Place the brake drum on table with the hub in the vertical position. Place the slow speed plate over the hub with gear uppermost. Then place the reverse plate over the slow speed plate so that the reverse gear surrounds the slow speed gear. Fit the two keys in the hub just above the slow speed gear. Put the driven gear in position with the teeth downward so that they will come next to the slow speed gear. Take the three triple gears and mesh them with the driven gear according to the punch marks on the teeth. The reverse gear or smallest of the triple gear assembly being downward. After making sure that the triple gears are properly meshed, tie them in place by passing a cord around the outside of the three gears. Take the flywheel and place it on the table with the face downwards and the transmission shaft in a vertical position. Then invert the group which you have assembled over the transmission shaft. Setting it in position so that the triple gear pins on the flywheel will pass through the triple gears. This will bring the brake drum on top in a position to hold the clutch plates etc. The next step is to fit the clutch drum key in the transmission shaft. Press the clutch drum disc over the shaft and put the set screw in place to hold the drum. Put large disc over the clutch drum, then a small disc, alternating with large and small discs until the entire set of discs are in position, ending up with a large disc on top. If a small disc is on top, it is liable to fall over the clutch drum in changing the speed from high to low, and as a result you would be unable to change the speed back into high. Next, put the clutch push ring over the clutch drum and on top of the discs with the three pins projecting upwards. You will note the remaining parts are placed as they will be assembled. 
Next, bolt the driving place in position so the adjusting screws of the clutch ringers will bear against the clutch push ring pins. Before proceeding further, it would be a good plan to test the transmission by moving the plates with the hands. If the transmission is properly assembled, they will revolve freely. The clutch parts may be assembled on the driving plate hub as follows. Slip the clutch shift over the hub so that the small end rests on the edge of the clutch fingers. Now, put the clutch spring placing the clutch support inside so that the flange will rest on the upper coil of the spring and place into place. Insert the pin in the driving plate hub through the holes in the side of the spring support. Then, turn the clutch spring support until the pin fits into the lugs on the bottom of the support. The easiest method of compressing the spring sufficiently to insert the pin is to loosen the tension of the clutch finger by means of the adjusting screws. When tightening up the clutch again, the spring should be compressed to within a space or two to 1 16th inches to ensure against the clutch slipping. Care should be exercised to see that the screws in the fingers are adjusted so the spring is compressed evenly all round. Rear axle assembly. How is the rear axle removed? Jack up the car and remove the rear wheels as instructed in answer number 89. Take out the four bolts connecting the universal ball cap to the transmission case and cover. Disconnect the brake rods. Remove the nuts holding the spring perches to the rear axle housing flanges. Raise the frame at the rear end and the axle can easily be withdrawn. How is the universal joint disconnected from the drive shaft? Remove the two plugs from top and bottom of the ball casing and turn the shaft until the pin comes opposite the hole. Drive out the pin and the joint can be pulled or forced away from the shaft and out of the housing. How are the rear axle and the differential disassembled? With the universal joint disconnected, remove the nuts in the front end of the radius rods and the nuts on the studs holding the drive shaft tube to the rear axle housing. Remove the bolts which hold the two halves of the differential housing together. If necessary, to the disassemble the differential, a very slight mechanical knowledge will permit one to immediately discern how to do it once it is exposed to view. Care must be exercised to get every pin, bolt and key lock back in its correct position when reassembling. How is the drive shaft pinion removed? The end of the drive shaft to which the pinion is attached is tapered to fit the tapered hole in the pinion which is keyed onto the shaft and then secured by a cotter pin castle nut. Remove the castle nut and drive the pinion off. How are the differential gears removed? The differential gears are attached to the inner ends of the rear axle shaft. They work upon the differential pinions when turning a corner 
so the axle shafts resolve independently. But when the car is moving in a straight line, the differential pinions and the differential gears and the axle shafts move as an integral part. If you will examine the rear axle shafts, you will notice that the gears are keyed on and held in position by a ring which is in two halves and fits in a groove in the rear axle shaft. To remove the differential gears, force them down on the shaft, that is, away from the end to which they are secured. Drive out the two halves of the ring and the grooves in the shaft with a screwdriver or chisel, then force the gears off the end of the shafts. How is the rear axle shaft removed? Disconnect the rear axle, as directed in answer number 77, then unbolt the drive shaft assembly where it joins the rear axle housing at the differential. Disconnect the radius rods and brake rods at the outer ends of the housing. Take out the bolts which hold the two halves of the rear housing together at the centre and remove the housing. Take the inner differential casing apart and draw the axle shaft out. After replacing the axle shaft, be sure that the rear wheels are firmly wedged on at the outer end of the axle shaft and the key in proper position. When the car has been driven 30 days or so, make it a point to remove the hubcap and set up the lock nut to overcome any play that might have developed. It is extremely important that the rear wheels are kept tight. Otherwise, the constant rocking back and forth against the keyway may in time cause serious trouble. If the rear axle or wheel is sprung by skidding against a curb or other accident, it is false economy to drive the car without correcting the trouble, as tyres, gears and all other parts will suffer. If the axle shaft is bent, it can, with proper facilities, be straightened but it is best to replace it. Thank you for listening to Sleeping Instructions, a podcast by Make a Community. In the next episode, we will continue to look at the Model T Ford manual, the Ford muffler, the running gear, the lubricating system, cares of the tyres, points on maintenance and so forth.